<laughs> well, I started this on Sunday morning a couple of years ago, and I never was able to finish it. And uh, that was before our world kind of really started going crazy like we've seen it in the last couple of years. And um, as I got to thinking about it, somebody had mentioned going back to it. And then I also got to thinking that it's a, it's a good book for us to really look at right now. I think it's a good book that um, it's meant to encourage us and to, um, to give us a spirit of perseverance in, in difficult times. And so I believe that uh, we'll be able to achieve that going through going through this book. Alright, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. And what we'll do is um, we will go ahead and read the first 11 verses. <clears throat> All right. Is everybody there? All right. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What is that that I just read? What is that? Thank you. Doxology. That's right. Some of y'all learned something. Verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Alright, the first thing that I want to talk about tonight is basic methods that people use to interpret interpretations. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just basically want you to understand why we're going to interpret the way we're going to interpret and how we're going to interpret revelations as we read through it. Remember, one of my main points of teaching on Wednesday nights is to teach you how to rightly divide the Word of Truth. So that when you sit down at the book of Revelation, you're able to to understand and interpret it on your own. And so that's my hope in being able to do this. So there are four major, there are, there are several ways, but there are four major methods of interpreting uh, the book of Revelation. The, one of the first major methods is uh, the historicist view. Um, the historicist view is a person that sees all the events that are taking place in the book of Revelations as events that have already occurred and continue to occur all the way up to our time. So for instance, a historicist may interpret the book of Revelations by saying that, um, 
whenever the Pope was developed, the, the uh, ministry of the Pope and the Catholic Church began to lose their way and they began to have so many false teachings that we had to reform from, they would have viewed that as saying, okay, when the Bible talks about the Antichrist rising up, he's talking about the, um, the papacy, the, the, the Pope ministry. And he would say that many of the events that took place, maybe they would have looked at Hitler and the Jews. And he would have looked at the book of Revelations and they would have said, this is how we have seen it unfold throughout history. Does that make sense? So as they read the book of Revelation, a historicist would interpret everything saying, I need to look back into history and I need to find the events where all of this stuff has already played out and continues to play out all the way up to our time and even as they would see it rolling on into the future until Jesus comes back. So that's one method of interpreting Revelation. Another method is the idealist. Now, the idealist, he basically sees this book as nothing but symbolism. He, he basically sees this book as a, um, as a bunch of symbols that show us the battle between good and evil and how it has always gone on from the beginning all the way to the end. So he doesn't interpret this literally as uh, whenever we start seeing stars fall from the heavens or when we start seeing... He sees everything as symbolism. Does that make sense? And so he only sees the battle of good versus evil symbolized all the way through the book of Revelations. And so he would use that mindset as he interprets it when he reads it. Another method that is used is called the preterist view. Now this, this view is sort of like the historic view. The only difference is that basically they would believe that all of these events have already taken place in the author's time. So for instance, they would see the book of Revelations as... Y'all have heard the, the Roman emperor Nero? Y'all remember Nero? And so they would have believed that Nero was the Antichrist and that the, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 may have been a fulfillment of Revelation and that the author was just talking about that time period. And they would interpret where we read a minute ago that he's writing about things that must soon take place. They would interpret that as literally soon. Like these events are going to unfold right away. And so that's the way that they would interpret these things. And so, for instance, um, they see nothing future to any of these events whatsoever. They're not looking for uh, the coming apocalypse as far as uh, the way that we read it in Revelations. They just believe that each individual event, whether you're talking about the seals or judgments or whether you're talking about the bold judgments, or whether you're talking, uh, no matter which set of judgments you're looking at there, they basically see that as just repetition of what took place back in their time. And some of them see it in AD 90, where Domitian was the, the emperor at that time, and he commanded emperor worship. And we, they see that as the Antichrist and coming into the temple and doing the things that we read about in Revelation. Now, here's the problem are not the problem. Let me just say this. Here's how we interpret it. And this is one of the primary methods. This would be one of the top methods that people fall in line with that this is the way to interpret uh, Revelation. And that is a futurist view. And this is the way that you have always heard it taught, more than likely if you've been in the Baptist faith. Uh, this is the way that I began teaching it. And so this is the way that I still feel is the best, best method for interpreting Revelations. But the futurist view basically sees all the events of Revelations as things that are going to occur after the rapture of the church. So we see Revelations basically as uh, it starts out as uh, warnings and letters to the churches and then after chapter 4 we don't see the church anymore. 
The church is gone. The church is not mentioned anymore after chapter 4 until we see them in heaven, and that's the only other place. And so what we see is that this is a book that is meant to be interpreted as these are the events that are going to take place when Jesus comes again, after He raptures His church out of here, all of a sudden, we, we see it as um, Daniel's 70th year. Y'all remember us talking about that? We see it as... Yeah, hang on. Yep. Y'all give me just a minute, please. So let me see if I can talk and do this at the same time. So y'all remember Daniel's 70th week. Basically, when we went back to Daniel, Daniel told us that there was going to be 70 years of week or 70 weeks of years. Y'all remember that? And basically, when you do the timeline, and we've done the math here ourselves, we did it together on a Wednesday night, I believe. Basically, how many weeks of years did we see had already been fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross? 69 weeks of years, all right? That was it. When you go back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, you do the math, you can see that there were 69 weeks of years. Now, if he told us that there was going to be 70 weeks of years, then how many weeks of years do we have left if we've already been through 69? we got one week of years. What is a week of years? Seven years, correct? And so we believe that we see the math work out that there is going to be a seven-year period of tribulation, correct? And this is going to be the time that God finishes His 70 weeks that He promised He was going to do for Israel. So we believe that the church is raptured and that primarily in these seven years the ministry of God is focused on Israel. And that's what you see take place in Revelations, especially chapter 6 through the end of it. So um, that is the futurist view, and that is the way that we are going to interpret it as we study it. Now with that being said, what is the genre, or genre, however you want to say it, what is the genre of the book of Revelations? Anybody know? What am I mean when I say when I say genre? What am I talking about? Would somebody give me an idea of what different genres are? Okay, so history is one genre. What is another genre? Let's let's don't even talk about just Bible. Let's talk about movies. Comedy, action. Um, what? Romance, drama, horror. Uh, so, and depending on what genre it is, depends on how they wrote and how the story came together and what they put in it, correct? Well, it, and, and some other genres would be history, uh, some other genres would be poetry. And how many of you know that poetry is not meant to be read the same way that history is, correct? It's a, it's a different way to, to read it. It's a different way to get inside the mind of the author to understand what this author was trying to get across. Well, the Bible is no different. What you have in the Bible is a little library, okay? We see it as one book, right? But it's not really one book. How many books is it? 66 books, right? And in those 66 books, you have some that are historical narratives, and a historical narrative is basically just uh, somebody that's writing out the history of events that took place in the creation of the world is a historical na narrative that is written in Genesis. The, um, the choosing of, of, of Abraham comes to, or the choosing of a nation comes at the end of Genesis going into slavery. And then Exodus is the historical narrative of them coming out of slavery. God bring them out of slavery. Um, a big majority of the Bible is historical narrative, okay? And so the way to read the historical narrative for the most part is to understand this is history where God is telling us this is what happened and this is what I did and this person begot this person and this person begot this person, okay? But then we have wisdom literature. Somebody give me some examples of wisdom literature in the Bible. Proverbs. And basically, 
Proverbs is not meant to be read the same as Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a historical narrative that has the law of God being given, right? So when God says in Deuteronomy, um, Thou shalt not steal, does He mean that unless every now and then you need to steal? No, when He says thou shalt not steal, what does He mean? That's it, right? But whenever you go over into Proverbs and you start reading wisdom literature... It's not meant to be read as law. But how many times have we took Proverbs... I'll give you a prime example. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, what? How many people have you heard teach that as law? In other words, if you train your child upright, they are not going to walk away from the way you train them up. Is that always true? But is it generally true that if you train them up right, you teach them right, you do the best you can with them, that they're liable to continue on the path that you have taught them in? That's right. So there again. So again, so wisdom literature is meant to give you statements of wisdom that are generally true. And so when you read Proverbs, you need to read it with that understanding. This genre was written so that I could understand these statements are generally true and they're wise actions to follow. Right? Alright, and then other genres that you have in there are poetry. Somebody give me an example of a poetry in the, um, in the Bible. Psalms. Alright, Psalms you have poetry. Also in, um, where are some other poetry? Huh? Song Solomon, that's right. Um, you also have it in um, Isaiah. Isaiah has songs that are written in there. So there are pertin- certain parts of Isaiah that you need to be able to stop and recognize. This is poetry. And it's meant to be understood different than it is. So in poetry, you usually have a lot of symbolism, right? You usually have um, things that, that we're comparing to other things to, to um, try to uh, show the beauty of something, correct? And, and so it's, it's supposed to be read in a different understanding. Um, as Nicole said earlier, you have epistles. And epistles are what? Letters. They're letters of instruction written to other Christian people. And so they're meant to be interpreted and read in that manner. Now, Revelation. Does anybody know what the genre of Revelation is? Prophecy is one way to to say it. Um, The correct term would be um, apocryphic. How do you say that? Uh, Apocalyptic. Thank you. There you go. Apocalyptic. I couldn't get it in my head. So, basically... Here's what it means. When we interpret the word and we title it the revelation of Jesus to John, that's the way a lot of your Bibles will interpret it, or they may just say revelation. Actually, what they're doing is they're changing that word from the Greek word, um, what'd you say, Chris? Apocalyptic? Apocalyptic. Apocalypsis or something like that. The point being is the word means this, the unveiling or the revealing. So the whole point is that this is a letter that's written for one purpose, to unveil something, to reveal something that has not yet been revealed. And so what we have here is an um, apocalyptic genre. And if you'll notice in Revelation chapter 1, what is the first uh, one, two, three, four, five words of this verse. So what is this book? Alright, what is the revel- what, what does it mean when it says the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ? What did I say it meant? The revealing, the unveiling. So in other words, what are we looking for when we read this book? We're looking for Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, to be unveiled in a way that we've not yet seen Him. 
Now, how did we see Jesus the first time that He came? That's right. A, like a lamb led to the slaughter, He what? He opened not His mouth, right? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The first time He come, how many people in the world knew that He was here when He got here? Three wise men. And then the angels came and told a few shepherds. And then word got to um, Herod and to some folks in Jerusalem as the wise men came in looking for Him, right? And so, but there were very few, well, the first time He came, we saw Him as a, as a little baby, as a, um, a person seeking and saving the lost, as a person that, that uh, came and He was just showing love and He was healing and He, and, and he was giving His life for them. What are we going to see in Jesus when He comes again? When He comes again, is He coming to seek and to save that which is lost? When He comes again, He is coming in judgment. When He comes again, everyone will know. won't be just a few wise men. Everyone will know. And so what we're getting in the Revelation, in the book of Revelation, is the unveiling or we are getting the, um, the revealing of Jesus, the Christ, in a way that you've not yet seen Him. And so when we interpret this, we're going to be looking for what is this showing us about Jesus? What is this teaching about Jesus? In the first chapter, you're going to see Jesus as, in, as the glorified King of kings that walks among His churches. And you're going to see Him that way in the first chapter. In the second chapter, you're going to see Him as giving instruction to His churches. What He requires, warning, wisdom. In the fourth and fifth chapter, you're going to see Him on His throne in heaven with everyone worship Him, casting crowns before Him. You're going to, to see Him in all authority as every knee bows to Him. Uh, you're going to see Him and His wrath in chapter 6. The Bible says that uh, the, even the great kings cried out for the rocks to do what? Fall on us and save us from the wrath of the Lamb. Is what it says. And so you're going to see the wrath of Jesus unfolded in this. And so this is a revelation from beginning to end of Jesus in ways that you have yet to see Him. And so as we study this book, that's what we're going to be looking for. What, is, what are we seeing about Jesus in this section of Revelation? So, so that is one of the things that we're looking for in that. So the, the, the way to interpret um, apocalyptic is to understand that there is a lot of symbolism in this book. So, um, for instance, when you see a lot of numbers, a lot of times there are going to be numbers that, that uh, symbolize something else. And one of the best ways to interpret a lot of those numbers is to go back to the Old Testament and let the Old Testament interpret it for us. And so we'll find ways to do that as we go through it. There's colors. There's um, uh, some other examples of apocalyptic um, uh, genres are uh, Ezekiel. When you go to Ezekiel and you see pictures of... Um, of angels with eyes all around and, and on chariots with wheels that go all which directions. And, um, and you see so many pictures that are given to try to show us something that basically we have no way of visualizing. How many of you have ever, ever stood before an angel in their true form? Now I know the Bible says well, some of us have entertained angels unaware. But you know what usually happened when somebody saw an angel in their true form? They hit the ground in fear because they had never seen anything like that before. And so just that example, when we're talking about spiritual things that are taking place, in apocalyptic genre, what you have are pictures that are given so that you can at least just get some kind of a visual of what is taking place in the spiritual realm while we're still here in the physical realm. All right, so that's the first thing is that it is um, uh, um, 
how'd you say it? Apocalyptic. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get that word stuck in my head, but y'all know what I'm saying. All right, let's see what else it is. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of what? This prophecy. Prophecy. Prophecy basically being um, the delivering the inspired Word of God. So in other words, what we have in Revelations is a book that's showing you this is what God says to whoever it is that He is writing to. And we're going to figure that out as well here in just a few minutes. So with, with those little tidbits of information, let's go into just a little bit of... of um, observation, context. You remember whenever I first started teaching you about studying the Bible, I told you one of the first things that you need to do is do the homework of observation. There are three steps in studying your Word. Anybody remember what those three steps are? The first is what? Observation. And what question does observation answer? When you observe something, what are you doing? What do I see? That's right. What do I see is what we want to figure out. What's the second step when you sit down to study your Bible? Interpretation. What question does interpretation mean? What does it answer? What does this say or what does this mean? So we do an observation, then we do an interpretation, and we answer what does this mean? And then the last thing that we do is what? What's the last step? Application. And what question does application answer? How does this apply to me? You can't get those steps out of order. The problem is too many of us go straight to the Scripture and after we read it, the first thing we say is, okay, how does that apply to me? And we try to put that in our context, in our culture, and you have messed up completely right there at the get-go because you are going to misinterpret it if you don't first go with your observation. What are some of the things that you do during the step of observation? What are we looking for? What are some things that, help, that can help us answer, what do I see? What? The intended audience. So, who was the original intended audience? What's another question? Huh? So grammar is another way. What does the grammar tell us? All right, so what are the verbs? What's happening? Who's the subject? Who's the object? Okay. Um, what about the author? Is that important? All right. So let's just start with a few of those things. Who is the author of Revelation? Okay. Somebody tell me just a little bit about John. Where is John? Does it, do we know where John is when he's writing this letter? How do you know that? Alright, there you go. So again, observation. What do I see? Well, here's what I see. John, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is on the Isle of Patmos. Why is he on the Isle of Patmos? Does the Bible tell us that? Alright, so where does it tell us that at? Let's find it. Somebody tell me where you see that at. Because you're right. Alright, you're right. Where are you at? What verse? Okay, well... Alright, well... Somebody else said it. What other verse is there? Somebody else said another verse. Verse 9. I don't know who said it, but somebody said it. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, so right there lets you know what? Who's writing it? John's writing it. He is your brother and he is a what? A partner in what? The tribulation. So here he's saying there's tribulation going on right now to Christians, correct? When John writes this, tribulation is happening. The people he's writing to are also in tribulation because he's a what? A partner. What does it mean to be a partner? 
We're in this together, right? We're in this together. So he's, he is in tribulation. That's some good observation to know, right? He's in tribulation. And he's writing to a group of people that also are in tribulation. Another thing is that he's a partner with them in the kingdom. He's also a partner with them in the patient endurance. What does it mean to have patient endurance in Jesus? We're waiting on Him, right? We're waiting on Him to fulfill His promise. And we're patiently waiting and we're enduring in the faith in Jesus as we patiently wait. And this John, this author, is a partner with us in all of that. Alright, now let's keep going. He says, I was on the isle called Patmos. Why? So he is an exile that has been sent to Patmos, a little island that is put that, that they put people on there for a purpose to exile them from the Roman Empire. And why did they send Paul, I mean not Paul, John to this island? Because he teaches and he preaches the Word of God. So we know what kind of tribulation he's dealing with. Anybody that preaches and teaches the Word of God, guess what? They're going to be punished. And also because of what else? The testimony of Jesus. So here you've got two reasons why Paul is on the aisle. First off, because he's a preacher and teacher of the Word. He just preaches the truth of God's Word. Second, because he testifies and he witnesses that Jesus is who he said he is. And guess what? Anybody who is in a partner with, in that with John also has this same fear and this same danger of being exiled to a place like this. So that's important stuff to know, to understand this. That Paul, uh, not Paul, I keep saying Paul, John is an apostle of Jesus Christ, a a leader of the church, and he is writing to a group of people that are in the same kind of tribulation he's in, tribulation that if you believe the truth of the Word of God, if you preach it and teach it, if you testify to Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ, you will suffer tribulation. He's writing this letter to those people. All right, you got that? So when we read this, we need to understand he's writing to everything he's writing is to a group of people that are having to suffer tribulation, maybe even exile, because of the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. This is another reason why I've decided to start teaching through Revelations, because I really believe we, me and you are not that far away from this. I'm not, I know preachers have said that so much. I know that. But I hope you can look around and see that I believe I can honestly say that and it be closer today than you've ever seen it. I believe that with all my heart. Alright? So, <clears throat> we know who wrote it. We know who the audience is. So, let's figure out um, who these people are that are being uh, persecuted, that are in tribulation. Alright? Where can I find that at? So what verse is that in? All right. So verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So immediately, in the immediate context, this letter is primarily written to seven churches. And I truly believe the way we interpret this as futurists we interpret this as literal churches. There were seven literal churches that this letter was written to. These are literal people that are in tribulation just like John was. This is another reason why we interpret the way we do. If you go with one of the other views and you view this as all symbolic, then you say there wasn't really seven churches. That's just symbolic. You say, um, there wasn't really tribulation. That's symbolic. You say, there wasn't this and this and this. It's just symbolic. It's just showing you the battle between good and evil. I don't believe you can interpret that way. I don't believe it's the right way. 
And so, I believe that this is seven churches that really do exist. These churches are named over in verse 11. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. To Remember, if this was symbolic, why would we, just, why would we give them specific names, right? So write to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So let me ask you this. Is this letter, even though we know in its immediate context that it is to these churches suffering persecution, is it just to them? How can we see that it is also to uh, someone else? Can anybody think of any scriptures that we could see that would know? What about... um, Go with me to... uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Actually, notice what he says in verse 1. This is pretty important. To the angel of the what? Church. Is that singular or is that plural? So we're talking about a single church in Ephesus, right? But then go to verse 7. What does it say? Keep reading. Let him hear what... Keep going. Somebody read it. Churches. What is that? Is that singular or plural? So here we see that, and you'll see it at the end of every letter. Go to every church letter. Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, uh, Pergamum, no matter which one you go to. What you're going to see is that it always starts out saying, this is to this church. But then it ends by saying, hey, let... Whoever has ears, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so ultimately, who is this letter written to? First, in its immediate context, to seven churches, right? But in the grand scheme of things, who is this letter meant for? Wales Baptist Church, right? The churches. It's meant to, I asked the youth class on Sunday morning, how many of you have ears? Any church that has ears to hear, guess what? It's to you. So we're going, and more specifically, I would say it is to us right now, more specifically to prepare us for coming tribulation. All right? So that's another reason why I believe this book is important for us to, um, to read it. So, who's the author? Alright. <clears throat> Where is John? Why? Alright. And um, who's he writing this letter to? Okay. And who else? Alright. Now we're going to go to the next observation. What is the purpose of this book? Why is he writing this book? Don't speculate because it would be easy to stop right here with what little information you've gathered and you could say, uh, he just wants to warn them about things that's coming. He just wants to encourage them. He just wants to... I want you to find in the text, why did he write this book? Let's start in verse 1. What's the first reason John wrote this book? Hang on, back up. You went one too far. Alright, so that's the first purpose. The primary purpose of this book, John said, this is the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what this is. That's my purpose. Alright, what's the next purpose you see? Don't go too far. There you go. <laughs> so why John write it? God gave it to him. This is the Word of God. And you're going to see that here in a minute because you're going to see who the book is from uh, down in verse 4 through uh, 5, I believe it is. So, But that's the first two reasons. So we're going to unveil Jesus in this. How are we going to do it? Because God gave it to us through John. All right, And then what's the next purpose of this book? Show them what? So again, the servants would be who? 
All the churches. All the churches. And He means for all the churches, not just the seven, all the churches to know what? To be able to see what? Things that must soon take place. He wants them, That's the purpose of this. He wants them to know this is what's coming, right? So again, another reason why we see this as need to be interpreted literally and as future events that will take place. Alright, the next uh, purpose. Who can find it? Or how, let's, let's just keep following the verse. Um, how did God give it to him? Okay. All right. And then uh, verse, um, verse 2. He bore, the angel gave it to the servant John. And what do we know about John in verse 2? John bore witness to the Word of God. And he also bore witness to what? Yeah. And what did, it, what did that cause him? <laughs> All right. All right. And to keep reading. Even to. All that he saw. In other words, John didn't hold nothing back, did he? Whatever it was he saw, he testified to it. Now, verse 3. What is the third purpose of this book? Blessing. Blessing. Alright, so there's a promised blessing. Who gets this promised blessing? So there is a promised blessing... To us for doing what? That's right. Reading and what else? So we read the book and we're blessed if we... What's next? Hear the book and we're blessed. Because listen, there's going to be people in this room tonight that we're going to read this book. But not everybody will hear it. I mean, let's just be honest. How many times have you been through a teaching series on Revelations? So for, for some of us, been through it a lot. But does that mean that you always heard it? Uh-uh. So here is something that I believe should perk us up and motivate us to understand. God Himself promised John that everyone who reads this book and everyone who hears it and everyone who what? Who keeps what is written in it will be blessed. Literally, um, to, um, to give something for their benefit is what you could say, is the blessing. All right. Now the blessing to me, first and foremost, is encouragement in times of tribulation, perseverance in the faith in difficult and dark times, um, uh, seeing the faith of, of others persevere, uh, trusting that in the midst of all turmoil, God is going to keep us safe um, uh, or keep us, let me put it like that. Uh, so that's the first and foremost blessing. But blessed just specifically means to give something for the benefit of the one that is being blessed. Now, why is the blessing going to come at the end of this verse? The time is near. The time is near. Now I know we look at that and listen, here's what's, here's what's uh, kind of funny to think about. This book was written, depending on when you see the date of it, some see it around 70 A.D., some see it around 90 A.D., but the fact of the matter is, it was less than a hundred years before Christ, after Christ had died. So Christ died and ascended, and almost a lifetime for most of us passes by. If it's 70 years, the shortest one they believe, that's still a lifetime for most of us, right? 70 years. And yet, John looks and he says, the time is near. Or you go back and you look at when God promised Abraham a child, and, um, and years go by. Or you go back and He promised that He was going to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And how many years pass? 400 years. Um, or you look and you see that from the time of God's promise in Genesis that He's going to send the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent from that time to the time that Jesus is actually born is how many years? 
some 4,000 years, right? And so, no matter what you look at it here, you can look and whenever God says the time is near, you need to understand something. Time goes by in the blink of an eye. So the time is near for each and every one of us. And there is a blessing for those that read it, that hear it, that keep it, because the time is near. The time is near for Jesus to come back. Because notice what He says in verse 7. What does He say in verse 7? Behold. That's a statement of fact. John's not just praising here anymore. He's doing a doxology before that. But then he tells why he does the doxology in verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. And even those who pierced Him are going to see Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail. Literally, that word means they're going to cry out in sorrow. They're going to cry out in sorrow on account of Him. You know why? Because they pierced Him. And now here He is. He's everything that He said He was. He's everything the gospel said He was. And they wail on account of Him. So the time is near. So listen to what He has to say. So there's the three main purposes of this book. First, reveal Jesus. Unveil Him in a way that we've never seen Him before. Second, we're going to see things as His servants that must soon take place. And then third is very plainly to give a promised blessing to the ones who read it, the ones who hear it, and the ones who keep it. So as we interpret this, as we go through it, I'm going to try again the observation stage here. I'm just going to try to put your mind around all this. It's about tribulation. It's about Christians and servants that are going to have to endure tribulation. It is about... um, Uh, showing Jesus in a way that we've never seen Him before. Um, It it is about, what was the second purpose? It was about showing things that must soon take place. And finally, so that you get a blessing from it. So that you are benefited from it. If you hear it, if you read it, if you keep it, then there is going to be probably great encouragement that comes from it. There is going to be probably great perseverance that comes from it. There's probably going to be great faith that is built as a result of it. Now, the last thing, and this is where we'll stop this week. I did this before because I'm not going to spend a lot of time going verse by verse because I've already been Revelations chapter 1 through chapter 12, I believe is where I got to. And so we could go back and you can revisit some of those on the internet, I'm sure. But... um, I do want to hit, basically we'll probably just take a whole chapter a week right now until we get to chapter 13. And when we get to chapter 13, we'll slow down a little bit and we'll focus on those just a little bit more. But to do that, I want to see what the outline is because John also gives us the outline for this book. Go with me to uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse um, 19. Because he outlines the book for us, okay? So in verse 19, what is the first part of the book about? Things that you have seen. So the first thing you're going to read in Revelations, actually Revelations chapter 1, is about the things that John has seen. Namely, the vision of the glorified Jesus walking among His churches. And we'll go back and look at that next week in chapter 1 as we see what He saw. But that's the first outline. Revelation chapter 1 is about the things that John has seen. And he unveils it for you so that you see Jesus the way that He saw Jesus. Namely, glorified walking among the churches. Alright? Now, what's the next part of Revelations about? The next outline. Write therefore the things that you have seen, and then what? The things, and you went a little bit too far, Tommy, but you was close. Those that are. 
So the first thing are the things that you have seen, the vision that you've seen. The next thing he's going to write about is the things that are. And guess what chapters 2 through 3 are about? The condition of the churches in the present time. So in chapters 2 through 3 we have, this is the things that are. This is the way the churches are right now. And we're going to see that we fall in line. The churches have not changed. You will fall in line with one of these churches as we study them. All right? They have not changed. So that's the second stage or the second outline uh, of Revelation, the things that are. And then finally, Tommy said it a minute ago, what is the last part of the outline of Revelations? The things that are to take place hereafter or after this. So we're looking at future, correct? So again, if you were outlining Revelations, you're just outlining it. He's writing the things that have that he has seen. He is writing the things that are. And he is writing about the things that must take place after this. So what you have is chapter 1, the things he's seen. Chapter 2 and 3, the things that are. Chapters 4 through the end, the things that must soon take place. Chapter 4 to the end are all future events that are going to take place. So that is the outline of Revelations that we're going to study. So next week, I'm going to stop right there. Next week, we're going to start with the first part of the outline. We're going to look at chapter 1 and the things that John has seen. It's happening right now, what he's seen. And we're going to examine that in chapter 1, and we're going to see Jesus unveiled in a way that we have not yet seen Him. And then we're going to... Uh, be blessed by the reading of the book, hopefully. You're going to see Jesus and you're going to see Him in a way right now, especially when you see that He is walking among the churches right now. I believe that there's going to be great encouragement from that. There's going to be a great blessing that comes from that. And then ultimately, He's going to show you the things that must take place soon. And we're going to see all those three things met in Revelation as we study it. Alright. So how many of you are looking at me right now going, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> I knew there'd be one.